Our scripture reading this morning is found in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, a familiar passage of scripture beginning in verse 18 and going through verse 25. This is what God says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. Where is the best place to be on Christmas Day? I'm sure most people would agree that the best place to be on Christmas Day is home with our families. And this is why all the ways of travel are so congested at this time of the year, whether you're going by car or by bus or by train or by plane. People are all going home. I venture to say that probably half of this congregation is leaving at some time this week to go home so that they can be with their families at Christmas time. And of course, every year at this time, there will be some reporter on television asking some poor stranded uh, passenger in uh, the airport in Denver or Buffalo, New York, uh, what does it feel like to be in an airport away from, your, from, away from home and away from your family on Christmas Eve? Uh, these reporters are such sensitive uh, souls. And I keep hoping that one day, one of these passengers is going to take the reporter's mic and show him how he really feels about being away from home and family on Christmas Eve and Christmas uh, Day. I remember the first Christmas that I spent away from home. I was a missionary kid, had grown up in uh, Ecuador, and um, had just been back in the States for about four or five months. I didn't have any family. I was uh, in college in uh, Dayton, uh, Tennessee. No family uh, anywhere around, nowhere to go, but they were uh, closing the college down for Christmas holidays, and I had to find a place to go. Now, fortunately, in that first semester, Susan had fallen madly in love with me uh, <laughs> at college, 
and, uh, and she asked her mom if she could bring me home with her, to which her mom said no. Uh, <laughs> which laid a great groundwork for uh, our relationship as in-laws uh, later on. Uh, but to her credit, she hadn't met me yet. So what happened was I ended up going home with my roommate, who was one of the most obnoxious people I've ever met in my life. And we had already agreed that we were not going to be uh, dorm mates uh, the next semester. But uh, I had no place to go, so I had no choice. And I went home uh, with this uh, roommate of mine to Macon, Georgia. And I remember on Christmas Eve, the night when my family would get together and uh, exchange uh, gifts uh, with one another and have a great meal together, that uh, I was there in his house all by myself. His uh, mother was a widow and she was out with his sister doing some shopping or something and he had gone out with some of his high school buddies and I was just sitting there all by myself and feeling very sorry for myself. Christmas is a time to be home with our families. That's the way most of us feel, and yet I wonder how that came to be the case because the Christmas story is not about someone who went home for Christmas. It's about someone who left home for Christmas. Bernie May was a missionary with uh, Wycliffe uh, Bible Translators in uh, Peru, the country just uh, south of uh, where I grew up. He was a pilot uh, for Wycliffe, and uh, he wrote uh, a little article once in which he told of uh, his first experience of being away from home and his family on Christmas Day. He had uh, flown out from uh, the mission base in Yarina Cocha, uh, Peru, to a remote little Indian village in the Amazon uh, basin somewhere to take some medical supplies, and that was on the 22nd of de uh, December. On the 23rd, he woke up and got ready to uh, leave, but the weather wouldn't uh, allow him to depart. And uh, the next day turned out to be the very same way, and uh, he realized he wasn't going to be making it home uh, for Christmas uh, to spend with his family. And like me, he began to feel sorry for himself. He said, uh, in this article, I slipped on my poncho, or poncho, the way we say it in English, I slipped on my uh, poncho and uh, trudged through the Indian village down to the river's edge. The plain was tied against spattered water, or against the bank, rocking gently on the rain-spattered water. I crawled out on a pontoon, and I sat under the wing, feeling desperately sorry for myself. It was Christmas Eve, and night was descending on the jungle. There was no way I could get back home. Back in Pennsylvania, my folks would have returned from church, and Mother would be getting the turkey ready. Outside, the snow would be falling past the window. The big tree with the star on top would be standing, as always, in its corner. In Yarina Cocha, six hours away, Nancy and the boys would be sitting at home alone. They knew by now, because I had been able to radio back, 
that I was stuck in the jungle. I would not be with them for Christmas. Oh God, I moaned, I'm in the wrong place. More than anything else, I wanted to be home for Christmas. Well, Bernie uh, walked back to uh, the village and uh, he had a simple uh, uh, supper uh, with uh, the natives there. And then as he was going to bed, he said that uh, he had a visitation from God. Uh, It wasn't like uh, the shepherds had with uh, angels and bright lights. But nevertheless, he said he heard this voice from God that said, My son, this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus left heaven, and on Christmas morning, he woke up in the wrong place a stable in Bethlehem. Christmas means leaving home, not going home. My only begotten son did not come home for Christmas. He left his home to be with you. And that night, Bernie said that he realized that the Christmas story was God's ultimate missionary outreach, that this was the greatest missionary story ever told. So why did Jesus leave his heavenly home? Why did he leave all of the glory that was his in heaven to come and be with us on Christmas Day? Well, our text this morning mentions two specific things. First of all, Jesus left home He left his heavenly home with all of its glory in heaven to be with us on Christmas Day to save us from our sins. The angel told Joseph that he was to name this baby Jesus. And Jesus was a New Testament form of the Old Testament word for Joshua. And that meant Jehovah or the Lord saves. Jesus came to be one of us, to be with us, to save us from our sins. That was our greatest need. He didn't come to save his people from Rome, from political oppression, from economic want, from physical infirmity. He came to save his people from their sins and its consequence, death. That's still our greatest need, to be saved from sin and its consequences. Even though a lot of people today deny that that is a need. In Newsweek article after 9-11 happened, there was a lot of speculation as to uh, why there was so much new interest in religion and uh, spiritual things. And this is what uh, one reporter uh, wrote about this after examining the phenomenon. And this guy uh, is not a Christian himself, but this, this is what he observed about that spiritual revival we saw after 9-1-1. This is in Newsweek magazine. He says, unlike earlier religious revivals, the aim this time is support, not salvation, help rather than holiness, 
a circle of spiritual equals rather than an authoritative church or guide. A group affirmation of self is at the top of the agenda. But this is not why Jesus left home in heaven to come be with us on Christmas Day. He left his home in heaven to be with us, to save us from our sins, because this continues to be our greatest need. I remember one time as a missionary kid sneaking off to a movie, because that's the only way we could see movies as missionary kids, is to sneak off to them. We weren't allowed uh, to go uh, to uh, movies, but this movie was entitled uh, Fantastic Voyage. And I don't remember all of the details. I do remember that Raquel Welch was in the movie. I'm not sure why that stands out, but uh, for, uh, for some reason uh, it does. But it involved a man who was terminal. He had a malignant tumor within his body that uh, could not be operated on. And the only way then that they could treat this malignant tumor that this man was dying of was to somehow come in through the bloodstream and attack that tumor from within. And so the story has to do with the, this group of doctors and scientists getting into this spaceship uh, looking type craft and then it's miniaturized down to the size of a cell and injected into this man's bloodstream and finally they are able to reach the malignant tumor and destroy it from within and in many ways that movie illustrates what uh, happened when Jesus left his home in heaven to come and become one of us and to be one of us. You see, ever since Adam sinned against God in the garden, mankind has suffered from a terminal disease. It's called sin. And there is no way to deal with this sin by ourselves. It's not something that we can solve for ourselves. It's not something that we can take care of by ourselves. If a solution to sin is going to be found, it's going to have to come from outside of the human race. Because all of mankind was infected with this malignancy of sin. And so what God did was to inject the Son of God, Jesus Christ, into the human race. Because only a man was properly the object of the penalty of sin. Sin was uniquely a human problem. And Mankind had to pay for that sin in order for justice to be satisfied. But in order for that sin to be overcome, in order for the consequences of that sin to be overcome, it had to be someone from outside who had the power to make that happen. And only God 
was strong enough, was powerful enough to overcome sin and its consequences in the human race. And so this is what God did. He injected his own son into the bloodstream of the human race in order that as a man he could fully satisfy the demands of justice and at the yet, yet at the same time as God could overcome sin and its consequences. You talk about miniaturization. The God who created this universe became a tiny baby who came to be with us, who came to be one of us. I love the way the poet John Donne put it. He said it was much that man was made like God before, but that God should be made like man much, much more. So what we have here in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, in narrative form, is the doctrine of the incarnation. God himself became a man. And in this way, being fully God and being fully man at the same time, not only could he bear the penalty of sin, but he could overcome sin and its consequences as well. As it says in Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. So then, as through one transgression, the transgression of the first Adam, so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. You'll notice that our text also talks about Jesus, the Savior, being born of a virgin. And there are many people in the church today who deny the virgin birth and say, well, it's just a myth. We all know somebody can't have a baby without a father. But the doctrine of the virgin birth is not a myth. It's not, something, it's not fake news, if you will. The doctrine of the virgin birth is essential to our salvation. Because it teaches us that Jesus' origins were not of this earth. That he came from heaven. If he had been born of a natural human father and a natural human mother, then he would have been infected with this same malignancy of sin that we're all infected with. And he would have been as subject to the curse as anyone else. Not only would he not have been able to overcome his own sin, he certainly wouldn't have been able to overcome anyone else's sin and its consequences. It's only the doctrine of the virgin birth that meets the requirements that our Savior, Jesus, had to be both man and God at the same time. 
So the first reason that Jesus left home at Christmas to become one of us, to be with us, was to save us from our sins and its consequence. The second reason that Jesus left home at Christmas to become one of us and to be with us was so that we could know God better. In the Old Testament, God is there. God is definitely present with his people, but his revelation of himself was only in part. And it was always fearsome. In the Old Testament, the the message that people received from God more often than not was keep your distance. Don't get too close. Because I am holy and you're not. But in Jesus, we can come to know God in a much fuller sense than the people in the Old Testament could. As one missionary from the previous generation put it, E. Stanley Jones, he said that Jesus is God the vague made God the real. That is, in Jesus, we have the fullest revelation of who God is and what he is like. And this is what the New Testament testifies to us over and over. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the word. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And the Apostle Paul agrees and says that, that in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity dwelled in bodily The Apostle John's testimony was the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus himself told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. That's what it means for him to be called Emmanuel. He is God with us, and we can know him in a deeper, in more intimate way than the people of God have ever been able to know God. You see, for us, the truth always has to be personified. I don't know about you, but I don't like to read instructions on how to put together a lighted reindeer at Christmas time. <clears throat> I can't figure the instructions out. I need a person to just show me. Robert uh, Oppenheimer, the physicist, once said, if you want to send an idea, wrap it up in a person. And that's exactly what God did when he sent Jesus to us. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, I know whom I have believed, not I know what. I have believed. 
It's knowing the person that leads to a more intimate knowledge of who God really is. And, and what a blessing that is to be able to know God in this sense of having Jesus so that we know who God is and what he is like. Because Jesus became incarnate, we know what the truth is. We know what grace is. We know what forgiveness is. We know what peace is. We know what love really is. And there is nothing more precious for us, his creatures, than to know our creator at such an intimate level. <clears throat> Over a century ago, C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, the uh, famous uh, preacher and theologian said, there is contemplating Christ, a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest. Refreshed and invigorated, I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. In Jesus Christ, in God incarnate, in Emmanuel, we have the best revelation of God that we could possibly have. Jesus left home at Christmas so that we could know God better. Just last week, there was an obituary in the paper written by the person who died. It was Beth Ward, who was a well-known television personality here in Little Rock for uh, many years. Uh, if you're old enough uh, to remember, you'll remember dialing for dollars. Uh, I never won anything, but uh, I really uh, appreciated uh, Beth Ward. She was a, a wonderful and a beautiful lady. This is what she wrote. This is her own words. She wrote her own obituary. And she said, as my life on earth ends and yours continues, I pray you have or will have today a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, my Lord. The only person who can truly give your life unending comfort, peace, love, and pull you through the difficult times, plus sending blessings to make you smile all year long. Trust me, you can trust him to be in control of your life. Jesus Christ is king. What a blessing that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, left home on Christmas, left all the glory that was his to come become one of us, to be with us, Emmanuel, so that we could know God, so we could know the blessings of knowing the truth, grace, forgiveness, peace, and love. 
So that's the second reason that Jesus left home on Christmas to be with us so that we could know God better. I started off by talking uh, about uh, Bernie May and his experience on that uh, first Christmas that he was away from family and from his home. And uh, then years later, I came across another article. You'll have to understand, as, as a preacher, I collect these things and uh, then just come across them by chance sometimes. But um, it's interesting to me. I've always wanted to ask him whether he ever connected this story with his first one. There's no reference made to it because it was written 35 years later. Uh, but it has to do with the last Christmas that he, sent, he spent with uh, one of his kids before they went to the mission field in uh, North Africa. And he says, this Christmas we'll get up, open gifts, and have a nice dinner with the Hollies, that's the in-laws. In the afternoon we'll drive to O'Hare Airport and there we'll lay hands on our children and pray sending them off to Africa as missionaries where they will serve the Lord even as we serve the Lord in South America. You see, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about leaving home, not going home. It's the greatest missionary story ever told. Now, I'm looking forward to being home for Christmas. And I hope you're home for Christmas with your families uh, as well. What a blessing that is. But I couldn't help but thinking this last week about Bob Beatty. And I know his family misses him. His daughter, PK, is here with us this morning. But you know, if you stop and think about it for the first time, Bob is going to be home for Christmas with his heavenly father, with his older brother, Jesus, with his brothers, and sisters in Christ. And because Jesus left home at Christmas, because he came to save us from our sins, because he came so that we could know God in a personal and an intimate way, someday we'll all really be home for Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, in a world that still suffers from sin and its consequences, we thank you that you have done something to remedy the situation. That, Father, even for the babies as they grieve through their loss, there is also rejoicing in the fact 
that their beloved husband, father, and grandfather, and great-grandfather is at home with his Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.